All right, how many of you have been binge-watching? Some of you, like you don't want to really admit it, but some of you really have. We've needed this escape from the things going on, and so we've just kind of chosen that, hey, I'm going to binge-watch this on Prime or Netflix or whatever, Hulu or whatever you're using to be able to do that. And so I understand completely and I want to just challenge you. We've been doing that over the last few weeks is to binge read the Bible and that we're in the middle of a unique time in all of our lives. And it's a great time for us to just we have a lot of spare moments and you're thinking, what can I do with it? And it's easy to binge watch something, but it takes a little bit more effort and thought to sit down and begin to read God's word. And so I just challenge you, maybe begin to read through Nehemiah. I've had several people say, hey, I've read through Nehemiah for the first time ever. And it's an incredible book. And some of you have been reading through Psalms or Proverbs or even the book of John. And here's what I will tell you, that anytime you engage God's Word, it will not return void. It will transform you. It will do something inside of you that you cannot understand. And it's something that would say I would say is, I don't like the term magical, but there is something that magical happens when you encounter God's Word. It is living and breathing and active, and it is a two-edged sword that brings death to the old ways that need to be gone and brings life to the new things. And so um, as you're thinking about binge watching, I pray that this little seed of binge reading will hit into your mind, into your heart. So we are finishing up our series on Project Restoration through the uh, book of Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah chapter 6. If you want to finish out the story, you have to do that on your own. But today we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 6. How many of you have recently started a project of restoration in your house or somewhere due to the COVID? Many of you, I can even see your hands online. I see them going up and your spouse even looking at you going, when are we going to finish? That's the question, right? So some of these projects have gotten started, but even because of COVID, it hasn't helped us finish. Well, today that's what we're going to talk about is finishing the project, whatever that may be in your life, whether that's a bathroom, a, a part of your house, or maybe even you're restoring a car or something, but we're talking more about maybe you're restoring your finances, maybe you're restoring some relationships, maybe you're restoring and you're in a part of your life where there's some addictions and you're working through those things. What is it that you've started and you need to push across the finish line? Not about you, but that is the hardest thing to do sometimes. You get so close to the end, you can literally see the light at the end of the tunnel and you kind of take a deep breath and you never finish the line. You get there and it's never quite there. There's, there's a baseboard that needs to be painted and it just sits there for years and years and years until you sell the house or whatever. There's those little things that just stay there and never get finished. Well, this is what Nehemiah chapter 6 is about, is finishing the project. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Nehemiah chapter 6. If not, version is a great app. You can look at it up there and then also we'll have it up on the screen as well. As we're asking this question all throughout is, What's in your world that's broken that needs fixing? What in your world is broken that needs fixing? Because as you begin the projects, you're going to get along the way, and then all of a sudden you think you're at the end, and then there's these things called distractions that come up. And usually at my house, now this is, I'm not, don't ask later on, but at my house, distractions usually come by, hey, you're almost finished with this, and then the honeydew list kind of goes, you know, like, hey, since you got the tools out, why don't you do X, 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 and so then you kind of get distracted and you go on to the other things. Anybody with me? No one's going to say amen 
Okay? All right? So there's these distractions that come along the way. And so this morning, that's what we're thinking about. And this world where we're trying to fix some of the broken things, when we get right to the point of the finish line, there's distractions that come along and we never quite finish. We never quite allow God to do the full transformation and restoration that he wants to do. And so there's some things in our life, maybe even, that we feel like we almost have victory over, but we're not quite there. And so we kind of, it's kind of that thorn in the flesh. Every once in a while it'll pop up and you think, man, I thought I had won over this. And it kind of keeps rising up. And so this morning I want us to think about that. What is it in your life that God has pushed you to and began to hold in your heart and your mind and your soul that you need some transformation in and you've begun that process and you've you've even done it maybe three or four times and you always get to the finish line right there and you can see it and then the distraction comes so nehemiah chapter six the first distraction that we see is good opportunities that there are good opportunities that come along that distract us And so here's what I want you to say with me today. This is one of these words that you need to know, and as you get to be an adult, it becomes, I think, even harder when you have kids. And I hear when you have grandkids, it's even harder to say. Are y'all ready? It's a two-letter word. It's N-O. Okay, you got it? So together, let's say it together. No. All right? So somebody, even from church, is going to come, and you're going to look at your schedule, and you're going, I have no time, but it's a good opportunity. And you're going to say, your kids want money from you, and you're going to say, (laughs) because you're like, I don't have any. That's easy, all right? So no, and so what you have to do, what are the things that we have to do is to begin to discern how God has made me and shaped me and what are the things that are perfect for me and what does God have on my life, the call that he has perfect on my life and that there are going to be some things that are good, that look appealing, but that aren't really just for you. And they're distractions from the path that you'd be going. So as we've talked about in the past, one degree off over a long period of time, you're going to end up in the wrong port of destination. So if you begin your journey at A and you're on your way to B and all of a sudden as your ship is going, you see something, you're like, ooh, that looks cool. And you kind of veer off a little bit over a long period of time, you're going to end up at another part of the world and you're going to be like, well, how did I get here? It's because of that one little good opportunity that wasn't the right opportunity. Think about that. Good opportunities come along, but is it the right and perfect opportunity for you? In Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Y'all been practicing your uh, Hebrew names? Okay. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and no gaps remained, though we had not set the doors and the gate in place. And so here they are. Everything is pretty much done, but there's a few things that need to be tidied up. And then look what happens. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of, oh no. All right? That's a perfect name, isn't it? No. Oh no. I don't want to go there. Okay? Oh no. But what happened? I realized that they were plotting to harm me. They wanted to hurt me. It was a good opportunity, but it was going to hurt me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message. And each time I gave them the same reply. 
good opportunities will continue to knock. Here's one of the things that I've learned in life. If you're a busy person and you're a productive person and you get things done, people are going to continually come to you to get things done. The doers have plenty of opportunities to do. Matter of fact, one of the statistics, it's an old statistic in all volunteer organizations, is 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And it can feel like that sometimes. Now, one of the uniquenesses of Crosspoint is that's not a true statistic, but I've been in places and I know of places where they're like, I wish I had 20% that would do 80%. It's more like 5% or 3%. Because the doers do, but one of the things is in that process is if doers do, they're stealing and robbing opportunities from other people who are called and gifted and uniquely made. They're the ones that should be doing some of the stuff that others are doing. And so for us as a body to, to move forward and to be the best body of Christ that we can possibly do, for some of us it means we need to say no. Some of you, you're going to be asked to do some things over the next few weeks and few months, and you're going to have to sit down and just go, okay, God, is this truly for me and about me for the kingdom, or is it just because I'm a good doer and I'm an easy ask? Because it's easy for us in leadership to be able to do that. And all my leaders are going, what are you saying, Chris? I've got all these people I'm about to ask. But opportunities to serve. What are your priorities? I'll give you mine. God, me, Sounds weird to have me second, but if I don't take care of me, then I can't do the other things that I'm called to do. So God, me, my marriage, to be a husband, to be a father, and then to be a pastor. That's my calling. So God, me, a husband, a father, and a pastor. Because I can't be a good pastor if I'm not a good husband and a good father. I know a lot of guys that are not in ministry anymore because they were so sold out to the mistress of ministry that they lost their wife and their children. And listen, this is constant struggle even for me. Becky and I have had this conversation. She's really blunt sometimes. She's like, who are you married to? And that's the clue. (laughs) Ship up the shape, you know, get get the ship in shape. Swab the decks, get home, because all of a sudden, as people that are doers and we want to be about, our our identity gets wrapped up in that, and we lose our worth and value in the things that really matter. So if you're a hard worker and you've got all this, then it's real easy to get distracted. So repeat after me, no, okay, ready? One, two, three. We're going to the valley of, oh, no, 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 say it. Very good. No, get that in your vocabulary. Distractions from your personal mission, from the vision that you have from yourself, the priorities that you have of your life. There are usually some good things, but the question is, what is best for you? So distraction number one is those good opportunities. Distraction number two is the telephone game. Y'all ever played that? Y'all remember the telephone game? All right, I've got a picture, so some of you, maybe you forgot, okay? So you start out, there's a little kid's game, and you sit out, and one person gives the truth, they say a little phrase, and then the next person says it all along the way, and then what usually happens at the end of the telephone line? It's completely opposite. It's not true. As a matter of fact, it's probably the whole different story, different thing, and all what it becomes is it's a good illustration of a rumor. 
And I know this never happens in church, okay? But someone hears something and they hear half of something in the hallway while drinking coffee and talking about really good things. And then it becomes a prayer request. And all of a sudden, then it kind of comes down the line and then it's something completely different. It happens in school hallways. It happens wherever there's a water cooler opportunity, the telephone game goes. Why? Because we feel like we have some, some information that no one else has, so it gives us a place of authority or a foothold, and people will look to us of like, oh, look, they're the mouthpiece, and they have this great information. So rumors go around. I know that never happens in the towns and the homes and the places that we live, rumors, but rumors destroy lives. Matter of fact, Jesus calls it murder. That if we say something about someone that changes someone's perspective about them so that when they walk into the room, you think differently about them when they walk in because of the words that you said in a negative way, that is murder. Our words are powerful. So we should guard our words, guard our mouths, And really think about the things that we say and how we say them and why we say them. What's our motive for saying them? And so in an organization, anytime that the vision is moving forward and you're fixing something that's broken, it's real easy for rumors to get in. You can listen to the naysayers. You can listen to the voices. And you hear all these different things that you walk down the hall. And and we do a good enough job with the the struggle inside that we're, we're trying to fix a broken. We've already got the stuff inside of us that we're struggling with. And all of a sudden, people that are supposed to be for us are really against us because of the rumors that they're spreading, the distractions of rumors. Look at verse 5. So they'd already asked him four times to come. Then the fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in hand, and this is what he said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me that it's true, because that's what you got to do, right? So, hey, I've got this thing that I know about, and so-and-so's already validated that it's true, because you got to have validation of your rumor to give it weight and worth. So the rumor around the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me that it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. Now, why are Nehemiah and the Jews rebuilding the wall? For peace, security, safety, so that they can worship God, right? Nehemiah had special permission from the king to be able to do this, and so here Geshem and Sambal and Tobiah are reworking the truth to put it in a little bit different way and called a rumor. And so here they are spreading this. And so what do they do? Again, they add, try to add weight to the rumor. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. So again, they're continually telling reports and adding weight and and they're adding people to their story so they can say, well, so-and-so said and -and so-and-so said because if there's more so-and-sos, if there's more theys, then the rumor has stronger value and worth. So Nehemiah has an opportunity. What am I going to do with these rumors? All of us, these are distractions. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So have you ever had that? Hey, someone's, I'm going to tell so-and-so on you. So I suggest that if you come and talk, talk it over with me. In verse 8, this should be your response to rumors in your life. There is no truth to any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. 
This is what we've learned about Nehemiah, even in his prayers. He doesn't mess around. He basically says, shut your mouth, shut your pie hole, you're lying. And he moves on, right? Strong words. What's he say? Why are they doing it? They're just trying to intimidate us. Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continue the work with even greater determination. Literally, it means that greater determination means he he strengthened his hands to complete the work. So here these rumors are going around and they're saying, hey, you're, you've come in and, and you've said that you're building a wall so that you can provide safety and security and bring glory to God. But we've heard rumors that really it's not about the glory of God, but it's about the glory of Nehemiah. And that you don't want to just, you want to receive glory and you're setting yourself up to be king. And so they begin to spread these rumors to distract and destroy because they understand they can see that the wall is almost finished. And if they can do this final act of discouragement and distraction and keep the workers from finishing the wall, they can consistently say, hey, that Nehemiah guy was all about himself. He didn't even finish the wall. He promised you that you were going to do this, and you never even finished it. He took the money with himself and and, and the things that you needed to finish the wall, he took and he did his own thing. You never were able to complete it in your own life. That thing that you've been trying to fix. God has called you to fix, whether it's your finances, your marriage, your your work life, whatever it may be. You're kind of getting to that point of that finish line, and and rumors begin again. You know, what what do you think about so-and-so? Why are they doing this? Why aren't they going out to eat as much? Why did they sell their Lexus and get a 1982 Honda Accord? You know what I mean? I mean, you start seeing, because when you begin to, to do the things that God's called you to do, you're going to be living life upside down from other people. And so rumors will begin to persist on, look, why don't they have X? Why are they pursuing this? And so they're going to, people will begin to talk and say, you are living differently than everyone else. And the truth is, yes, I'm willfully choosing to live different from everyone else because I don't want to live like everyone else. I don't want to be broke and have a big house. I don't want to always have this stress. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that debt weighs us down and literally sucks the life out of us. And if you've been in debt, you know that that's true while you apply for another credit card because you think this one will be the one that will solve it. Or you go to another relationship and you think this relationship will solve it. Or you think, hey, if I will do this, if I, if I do this and you're addicted to, to pornography, you're addicted to alcohol, you're addicted to whatever, and you think I'm going to move from this to this to this, and it will solve it, and it never fills the void, and you're saying, I want something different, and that different is Jesus, that he can restore you and allow you to cross the finish line. The thing that I want you to grasp is, this is not us working on ourselves, this is allowing God to transform our hearts and to transform the thing that we crave. The things that we want to take in and to put in our lives. That You know what? We look at a, a wonderful car and we're like, man, that would be great. I would love a backup camera that works all the time. But guess what? I can do this. And it doesn't hurt. You know what I mean? I mean, some of these things that we think, man, if I just have this, that this will bring me to this next level. And you're like, really, in reality, I don't need this. But my image needs this. God's saying, let's just live life upside down. 
Don't worry about what everybody else is saying. What you've got, I provide you with what you need. Quit asking for more than what you need because you're worried about what other people think because in the end, what other people think doesn't matter. When you stand before the judgment seat of God, the only opinion that matters is His. So build the wall of safety and peace and protection so that you can worship God without reservation, without regrets, without, God, I wonder if, That was the purpose of the wall so that the people could go to worship and not worry about the enemies, not worry about the rumors, not worry about the stuff. They could worship in a place of security and of safety and of knowledge that their heart is for God and for God alone. And that God would get the glory for the wall. That guess that people were like, we don't understand why you're doing it, but... But we see that God has transformed your heart and your mind and your wall and your life is radically different. And we want what you've got. And you know what you've got. If your life is being transformed by Jesus, you know that, listen, it's not about me, but it's totally about what Jesus is doing in my heart and my mind and my soul. And he's changed my appetite. And the things that I thought once brought worth and value and filled me up were empty calories, but now I'm I'm at the banquet table of God, and it is everything I could ever imagine. Don't settle for second best. Third distraction is fear. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 10 and following. Later I went to visit Shemaiah, the son of Delilah. All these fun names. We figured they're probably Mariah's great-great-grandmother grandson of Mahabatel and was confined to his home. So this is a person that Nehemiah knew that was on his team. And so he received this invitation and went to go have dinner with him. What happens? They disguised. All right. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah Delilah, son of grandson. Sometimes your enemies are disguised as friends. Or what I've told you all throughout there are people that you think are for you, but they're really not. And so here, Nehemiah accepts an invitation from someone that he thinks is a friend, but in reality is against him. And he said to him, to Nehemiah, he said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. So here's a guy who's supposedly his friend, invites him over for dinner, and basically says to him, listen, these guys are coming. Sanballat, Tobiah, Gemma, they're all coming and they're going to kill you tonight. So we need to run to the temple and go to the altar and cling to the altar. Now, this was a true thing. So if you were someone who had murdered someone accidentally in the Jewish law, if you had accidentally murdered someone, killed someone, then you could run to the temple and grab the altar and call for sanctuary. There was a, there was a law of the day, of the time. And so what His friend, Nehemiah's friend, is saying, is you are about to be attacked. You are about to lose your life. And so let's just call this law. It's not really for us, but let's run into the Holy of Holies and grab the altar. Now, the only people that were supposed to be in the Holy of Holies was the priest on behalf of the people. And so to enter into the Holy of Holies of the temple was off limits, except for that one occasion when you weren't a priest. And so this guy is saying, hey, listen, because you're Nehemiah, Because of what you've done for God, because you've reached this certain status, because you've done this, you get special permission. 
And when things get hard, Nehemiah, because of who you are, you get special permission into God. And Nehemiah's like, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for that. And it's easy for us. Man, there's seasons in our walk with Jesus where it's like, man, this is easy. And just things are falling together, you know, your checkbook balances, your husband or wife likes you. And, you know, all these different things start lining up and you're like, God, I know that you're so glad that I'm a child of yours. I'm, you're happy to have me. This is what this guy's trying to tell him. He could seek asylum and here's Nehemiah's response. Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him. Why? Because the thing that he was teaching was actually contrary to Scripture. Listen, there are preachers that are not well-known and preachers that are well-known. That they are preaching stuff that is not in Scripture. So you need to know it and to line up what they're teaching against Scripture. And here's one of the things that you'll see is that there will be fruits of their preaching, and not just large gatherings of people, but there will be fruits of their teaching where people's lives will be transformed, people will be getting baptized, and homes will be changed because they're being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Crowds do not equal good. I realized that God had not spoken to him but that he had uttered prophecy against me and, and Tobiah and Zabalat had hired him. There are preachers that are all about the money. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse me and discredit me. How do we deal with fear? There are things in your life that God's called you to do and you know that you know that you know in your knower, your soul that God's called you to do it, but... You're afraid. That may be talking to a coworker and saying, hey, listen, man, this is what God's doing in my life, and, and I just want to share that with you. And they're like, what? Or you don't want to talk to somebody. Whatever it's got, God's calling you to Africa, and you're envisioning this hut. Or God's called you to share your faith, and you're just like, ah. And so all these different things are, you know what, hey, I, I want to get out of debt, and that means I'm going to have to talk to my wife or my husband, and we're going to have to sit down together, and we don't communicate at all, but we're going to have to sit down and communicate about the one thing that we know we're going to fight about, which is the budget. And fear rises up, and so instead of talking about it, you just continue to put it off. Fear rises up. What's the thing that we can do in response to our fear? What did Nehemiah consistently do? Pray. The moment there was opposition, the moment that fear began to rise up, he stopped and he prayed. Look at verses 14 and 16. Remember, oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done. And remember that Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. Just stop. And in that moment of prayer, gain perspective, gain a renewed vision, gain a courage that's a Holy Spirit courage that, God, that you've called me to do this, and so you're going to bring me through this. It's not about me. It's not about my vision. It's not about me being raised up in my glory, but it's about your glory. Bring me through the finish line. So there's going to be distractions 
when you try to fix those things that are broken. There's going to be good opportunities that are going to take you off course. There's going to be rumors that are going to be distracting you, and, and it's going to be like, well, if you just do this or you do that, and it's going to sound a little bit like truth, but it's going to distract you just a little bit, and you have to sort through and filter through and stop and pray, and then there's going to be those moments where you're just you're afraid. You're afraid that if you are moving in this direction and now God is telling you to stop and move in this direction, that people are going to be questioning. They're going to go, who is this? And you're afraid because it's easy moving this direction because you're in the flow with everyone else. But in that moment when God says, hey, this is the wrong direction for you, and you turn and you go this way, that you're moving against the flow. And all along the way when you're moving against the flow, people are going to be whispering and saying, why did they do that? Why do they now drive a Honda? Why do they do? And so you're going to be asking all these different things. And that's the Bible's word is called repent. Is that it's easy to move in the flow with everyone else. Because everyone's happy together in their misery. But as children of God, God calls us to live differently and we repent. We turn and we go in a different direction. And so what happens is those that we think are for us are really not. They're for us to be with them in their misery, but when life change begins to happen for us and transformation begins to happen, guess what happens? Conviction happens in our friends, and they know that they should be changing and turning with us too, but they're not. And so that many times the easiest thing to do is just to begin to lob threats and accusations and rumors. It's easy to be distracted by them. Finish the job. If you've ever done the fight of getting debt-free and you've gotten to that place, it's a victory. It is freeing. If you've ever gone through an addiction and you've fought the battle and you know that, hey, that's always possibly there, but you're on the other side and you know what sobriety looks like, you know what it means to be free of things, you're like, man, this, this, I cannot go back and let that weigh me down again. I have finished that. And you continue to move in that direction. Verse 15, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. So the very ones that had been trying to humiliate and frighten and to bring distraction and hurt and rumors, when they heard that the wall was finished, their reaction was the opposite of humiliation because, oh my goodness, look what God did through these people. And then look. They realized the work had been done with the help of our God. That's the beauty of life transformation. That when God gets a hold of your soul, your heart, and your mind, and he begins to transform it, and you begin to swim upstream, and you begin to build a wall, people begin to say, there's something different, and they begin to begin to lob things, and then when they see who you become and what you're like, and literally your face changes. I always go back to the story of Moses when he had had an encounter with God and he came down off the mountain and he was there before the people. The people were like, you, there's something different about you and it is that you have been in the presence of God. That the Shekinah glory of God was all over Moses because he'd been in his presence. When we as his people, as his children, get into the presence of God and allow him to speak to us and we move upon that, that speaking and that action, there's something about us and people say, I want what you've got. You have a peace, you have a joy, you have a confidence, you have a whatever it is that they are seeing in you that God's calling them. And you can say, it is not about me, it's about Jesus. 
That is who has done the work and is doing the work in me. The work's never done, but there are pieces along the way that God sloughs off of us. And each time we can win victory and keep moving on. The wall will always for us never be finished until we breathe our last. Reminded in Matthew when Jesus was finishing up his ministry on earth, the last words that he spoke as he was on the cross, it is finished. And the beauty is, is it's not our job to finish the work, it's his. The work is already complete. We're just to join him in victory. Let's pray together. Father, you do the work. You do the work of salvation. You did the work of separation from yourself so that we wouldn't have to experience the pain and agony of separation from the Father. Father, you have literally given everything to build the wall so that we could experience new life in Christ. Father, I pray for us here in this room and those that are watching online, Father, that if we don't know you, that if we haven't experienced what it means to know the Jesus that said it is finished upon the cross, that today that we would make that decision to say yes to you. That, Father, if we've already made that decision and we're just trying to journey and it's just been a grind, it's been hard work, to remember that it's not our work, it's not in our power, it's not in our effort, but it's your power and your strength to lean into you and to allow you to be Jesus, that you're the Savior, you're the victor, you're the winner. We're just on your team and we just need to get in on your game plan and to run the plays that you've asked us to run. And the Father, that, that starts with us. Father, I pray that we would just imagine this circle around us individually and that you're just building a wall. It's a place of safety. It's a place of security. It's a place of peace. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of worship, that uninhibited worship that no one can see or understand and even know the beauty and the intimacy of our relationship with you because we're just enveloped by this wall in these moments. That, Father, that you are the tower, that you are the refuge, that you are the safe place that we can run to. Father, that's built brick by brick by brick by brick. And that we're not qualified to build it. It's totally upon your qualifications, upon your skill set. So, Father, I just pray for each one of us that you would, we would say yes to you and begin to understand that you are a place of refuge to run to. May we finish the project that you've called us to, whether it's victory over an addiction, whether it's renewing a marriage, whether it's fixing our finances, whether it's being a better employee, a better student, whatever it is, Father, each one of us know we've talked about this idea of what in our world needs to be fixing. You immediately raise something up to the forefront of our mind and our heart and our soul. And it's just a matter of whether we're going to say yes 
do the hard work with you or walk away. It's all about your glory and your honor and your fame. May we join with you in fixing what's broken.